0: Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here on 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-O-Y.com, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's February 17th, 2015. This is On the Grid, episode 103. This week, we're joined by a guest, Maurice Cherry of Revision Path. Here we go. So, we are joined by a guest this week. He runs a design studio called 318 Media. He's the host of a podcast called Revision Path, and they are on their 100th interview this week uh, between their podcast interviews and long form written interviews. They focus on black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. He's also the founder of the Black Weblog Awards, and he has a new podcast called The Year of Tea. Maurice Cherry is on the show this week. Welcome, Maurice. Hey, Ooh. Maurice, you are Thank a busy you. man.
1: That is a long list of things that you do. <laughs> I'm honestly out of breath. I'm going to take a second.
0: Take a. <laughs>
1: did you Did you check all the boxes, Matt? Did you check off all the things? Make sure you cover everything. <sighs> I mean, it's gonna, I'm going to I'm going to take a nap now. Do you guys want to pick up? <laughs> so tell us what is What is the secret? Do you not sleep? Is it How do you do it?
2: Um, you know, I oh, I I sleep plenty. Um. I guess I kind of do that that polyphasic sleep sort of thing, where like you take an na- oh, do you really where like you take a nap in the middle of the day. You wake up, you work, you go to sleep again. You wake up about three a.m. You keep working on something. So it Whoa. it varies. I have a number of different wow. kind of time shifting systems. So it doesn't look like I keep these weird manic hours. Like my clients don't know that, but. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You do a lot of scheduling the emails to get sent in the morning. That's my main move. Yeah, I do I'll that. Stay up late at unreasonable hours working, and then I'll just schedule those emails to go out at eight forty-five. Everyone <laughs> thinks I'm on the ball early exactly. in the morning. Exactly. So good.
2: Best secret ever.
1: I've always wanted to try polyphasic. I asked, I kind of asked that thinking I was making a joke, but it turns out you actually have a, a ridiculous sleep pattern you employ to make yourself extra productive. Uh, ben Franklin did that too, as did Buckminster Fuller. The polyphasic sleep. So sweet. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. It's. <laughs> That's the first time anyone's asked me about that. But yeah, I do have kind of some odd, bizarre kind of sleeping patterns. But I figure I work for myself. I have my own hours, so I can, you know, kind of structure it that way.
1: Uh, We usually start the show just by bullshitting about our week. And Matt, you you visited me in Baltimore. You've now seen my life intimately.
0: Yeah, I know everything about you now. All things. I know that you have a house That there's an upstairs and a downstairs, and that there's a tiny bedroom-ish third floor-ish thing. little lofty thing. And I know your favorite restaurants now. And our partners talked
1: a lot about how you and I are the same, basically. Yep. (laughs) That was the common theme of conversation.
0: They elbowed each other and said, huh. Our weird boyfriends are kind of similar. Yes. Uh, they not are. kind of similar. A lot of exactly the same problems. <laughs> much.
3: Now Matt Matt, did Andy end up pointing out like his smoke detectors or his Nest thermostats mm-hmm. or, or anything else
0: he's done around the house? Actually, you know what? He didn't point those things out at all. I noticed them. I walked by and said, oh, there's that Nest Thermostat. There's nice. that Nest Protect. He didn't say a word about them. Did I point? Who do you
1: think I am, Dan? You think I'm going to walk in and be like, let me show you this thing that <laughs> I bought, but I'm also a little ashamed of, and I don't know if I even <laughs> like <laughs> it like, yet. No, no, what, what but it's,
3: no, no, it's more like we've talked about it on the show, and
2: it's like, oh, yeah, there's the thing in real life. I don't
1: oh, know. like you meant the physical artifacts represent the episodes, what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah,
2: yeah. Is it as bad as that one Googler said that it is?
1: I really like the thermostat actually. Uh, I've only had it for now like a month, but I still I really like that. That's a nice thing. Uh, I you know I don't know how to say if the smoke detectors are good, right? Like so far, my house hasn't burned down, so I guess they're doing their job. There you go. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They, they seem maybe overpriced is what I'll say uh, so far. But yeah, no, I don't think they're that bad. I think if you have a every product has a horror story, right? There's always that review with the one star did not warn about tornadoes thing, right. but um, <laughs> but yeah. So I feel like we should get right to the topic, honestly. I don't know if we should do much of this bullshitting at the top. We got a big topic to cover. Um, I mean, Maurice, so we, you know, sometimes we have guests on the show and they're just kind of there to join in the conversation and kind of jump in the fray. Um, we don't do interviews, but I think that we specifically were interested in having you on because of your special expertise in tea. In specifically <laughs> in tea. In tea?
0: In tea. No, it's a podcast called The Year of the Tea. I introduced it at the top. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. So we can oh. talk about tea. <laughs> I, I have some thoughts about tea, too. Um, no, I mean, you specifically, I mean, your your show or vision path is is sort of specifically dedicated to highlighting black graphic designers, web designers, uh, tech folks, and uh, you are, you're giving a talk at South by Southwest this year, correct, about, uh, about sort of where where are all the black graphic designers is what it's called, correct?
2: Well, yeah, it's called Where Are the Black Designers? It's going to be on Saturday, March 14th uh, 5 p.m. Um, in the convention center, Austin Convention Center, Ballroom E. And basically what I'm going to do, well, the plan is to first sort of talk about um, – because a lot of this sort of stems from an AIGA journal article from 1990 – Um, The article's called Equal Opportunities, Minorities, and Graphic Design. And that sort of played off of an article that was published in Print Magazine in 1987 by Cheryl D. Miller about, it was called Black Designers Missing in Action. Um, And basically what it is going to be about is is answering the question, like, where are the black designers? Can we sort of fix this problem that seems to come up as it relates to uh, really specifically with uh, black people in the design fields? And just giving some, you know, I'm going to have some information that's distilled from interviews that people have given. I'm going to give my own sort of suggestions and recommendations. Uh, It should be pretty good. I mean, I'm only going to have about 45 minutes, so I can't, you know, I can't really solve the energy crisis in that time. But I hope to give some actionable (laughs) advice in that time that
1: is uh yeah so if you're going to be in at south by southwest listener you should attend that talk because it's going to be good and i don't want to spoil your entire talk but i'm not going to be at south by southwest and i, I want to know the answer already so i guess i do want to spoil it <laughs> um I, I mean i think this is a thing right that i certainly have taken notice of I, I i can i think a lot of people that work in the design industry have taken notice of it, it seems to be true at every little like facet you can find every little kind of side of the design community. Uh, there is a deficit of people of color without fail. Uh, you can look at, you know, old school companies that have been around for a long time that are, you know, kind of the the, the standard bearers for the industry, your pentagrams, I mean, the partners at Pentagram. Uh, I think Eddie Opara is still the only uh, person of color that's a partner at Pentagram. That you look is at right, big, yeah. You look at big tech companies, your Googles, your Twitters, your Facebooks that put out their diversity reports, and they are overwhelmingly white people. Um, I mean, even in school, right? Like in my program at MICA, the number of uh, black people was extremely, extremely small. Um, even like the, the best of lists that come out as, as, silly as they are, but like, you know, the ADC young guns regularly are entirely or almost wholly white. Uh, you know, fast company does their best designer of all time list. I'm not sure there was anybody of color on that entire sort of bracket they did. Uh, this is true. It seems that everywhere you look, uh, and th- I feel like there's a number of like potential culprits for that, right? And it's probably a combination of all of them, but I'm curious to hear, Maurice, if you can, like, uh, how do you want to do this? So, like, I, I want to know the answer, so <laughs> <laughs> can you give us the answer? Is that spoiling your talk? How do we do oh, this? I wouldn't
2: say it's spoiling my talk, because I haven't put it together yet. It's it's pretty much still in my <laughs> we'll, head. We'll help but you. Then. We'll help you yeah, make I, it. Yeah, I just need, like I told myself, like I just need a day to sit down and do it, and it'll be done, because it's all kind of swirling around in my head right now, the only part that I have is my intro and the end, and everything in the middle is just like a hornet's nest. So eventually, <laughs> I'll I'll outline it into something that's t- that's useful and tangible. But sort of like you hinted at, it is a it is a multi-pronged issue. Um, this is also something that uh, Christy Tillman, Christy Tillman is a design director at Society of Grownups. She mentioned this in a podcast with uh, "Design Details," I believe is what it's called. Um, oh is she Detroit Water Project is that yeah you know yeah her? yeah Yep, that's yeah. Her. Oh, yeah. I actually just talked to her yesterday she'll be on the show her episode comes out in March oh that's great um, during South by actually March 16th is when hers come out but uh, she sort of spoke about this as well and I sort of agree with her it is a multi-pronged issue it's not just oh a pipeline issue we need to make sure that there are more kids that are learning about it um, that is sort of one thing but I think it's something that we can all kind of agree on you know Getting into the design industry is expensive. There are the tools that you need—you know, a decent computer, um, access to software. If you're going to attend conferences, if you're going to look at books and things like that. Granted, there's a lot of information that's out there on the internet that really was not around, I'd say, in the even in the early 2000s or so, when it comes to learning mm-hmm. this stuff. But it's still a pretty expensive field to get into. Um, if you're talking about going to an art school, art schools tend to be more expensive, so. Money and socioeconomic socioeconomic factors are kind of part of it. It's um, interest, you know, it's kind of a cultural thing. Like, um, parents need to know that this is something that can be a viable career that can make money. And it's not just, you know, some silly hobby or something like that. Uh, It's a a very sort of complicated issue as to why there aren't more black designers. There's not one particular reason in general. Um, It can point to a lot of different things.
1: And One of the first things I wondered is, is it not that there's so few black graphic designers, but maybe that the ones that are out there are not getting the recognition that they deserve, are not as publicly visible for you know whatever reasons those might be? I feel like it is, like you said, a very sort of multi-pronged thing. Yeah, that's um, that's I,
2: definitely a, another part of it. That, and in a way, that's kind of what Revision Path and Revision Path, I also have like this sister site to it called 28 Days of the Web, where every day in February I introduce a new black designer or developer kind of in conjunction with and in celebration of Black History Month. So it is something about making sure that we recognize the people that are in the industry right now working, that are doing this kind of as their livelihood. Because unfortunately, the design media does not reflect that. It, it does not reflect that diversity. Most of the times when you look at uh, design podcasts or conferences or you know video talks or things of that nature, it is overwhelmingly white and male for the most part.
1: But for the- and I hate to break it to you, Maurice, but we Matt, Dan, and I are all white. Yeah, kids. I'm not sure if you. Yeah, do. I will, Yeah, uh, I kind of knew that. I was aware. That Sorry. that is <laughs> that is the unfortunate reality we find ourselves in. Um, no, I I, I kind of want to unpack each of these things. You know, we can. I think you touched on a lot of the things briefly, but I think it's worth diving a little deeper into sure. exactly what it means. For example, for the industry to be like, I think you're right. There's this level of exclusion that is. Prevalent in the industry. I think part of it is kind of what you described, right? Like uh, access is not open to anybody. There are these like barriers to entry, um, money being a big one of them. And, and the other thing that I think is uh, important to, I think some of the things that are subtly kind of keep people that come from privilege and come from uh, you know, positions of wealth in, in power industry are things that people kind of overlook. For example, like it's commonplace in most creative fields to have an idea of like an unpaid internship, right? Like. This, is, this industry is so competitive, and it's so hard to get into, and there's not a ton of money flying around. So if you really care, you have to make the time to somehow take an unpaid or very, very low paid internship in New York City or San Francisco to, to get, get a shot. Mm-hmm. And of course, not everyone can afford, I mean, very few people can afford to live in a major city and do a job every day that they're not paying them money. And I think that people oftentimes will look at the internship thing and think of it as like a, like a respect to your worker kind of deal. But it also has a huge part in why the design industry is so homogenous and insular, I think.
2: So are you kind of saying that there's more white people that are willing to work for free?
1: <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a strange turn of events, yes, I think that is the case. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, yeah, people that if you have, you know, uh, parents to fall back on, if you've got a, a nest egg, if you come from a place where you know that uh, you always have that support system, then you can definitely afford to take more risks. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this this kind of, you can keep following the, following the thread all the way back up, but, like, this ties into, like, the biggest race problems in the country, right, with, you know, the history of housing segregation and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unfair laws and redlining and all that stuff, uh, which is, you know, systematically disenfranchised black people, which is, you know, look across the board, and yes, like, less black families have enough money to have their kid take an unpaid internship somewhere at some creative studio. Right. And that's how you get, you know, tech companies with all their designers being white because, you know, nobody is taking ownership over the problem. They're all just looking around and saying, well, all the designers seem to be white. I guess we'll just hire them.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, shit, you kind of just broke down most of it right there. I mean, <laughs> there is this thing where, you know, there's, of course, um, this inequality as it relates to, you know, generational wealth. And that, you know, trickles down into even something like you're saying, having to take an unpaid internship or having that nest egg support or something like that. I can even recall when I was uh, going to college, when I was about to go to college, I didn't really have a a keen college in mind. I didn't want to go to art school at first. And the only thing my mom kept saying is like, wherever you have to go, make sure you get a scholarship because I can't afford for you to, you know, for me to pay for college. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I I don't know if that's something that every parent kind of – brings up and my mom like stressed it like you have to get a scholarship you have to get a full ride scholarship wherever you're gonna go because I can't pay and it's like well
1: which is a lot of pressure
2: well I mean yeah it's a lot of pressure and I mean eventually I, I did that's
1: why you adopted a polyphasic sleep pattern <laughs> You're like I need, I, need, I need to get a lot of work done and it's only 24 hours in the day and so
2: I, I mean I did end up going to college uh on a full scholarship I didn't go to an arts college I went to a liberal arts school uh here in Atlanta called Morehouse College and At first, I did sort of want to go to an art school because I wanted to learn and do more with web design and things like that. So I started out in computer science and computer engineering as part of this dual degree. um, It's like a a five-year program where you do three years at undergrad, two years at another school, and then you graduate with two degrees. But after that first semester, I was taking, I think, C++ or something. And my professor, my professor was one of those people, it was one of those weed out courses, you know? where it sort of separates the wheat from the chaff, and he was really one of those people. It was almost like, I don't know, something you'd see in an anime or something. Like, he would sit there for 50 minutes and talk about his buddy while drinking McDonald's coffee, and then once everyone's about to leave, then he'll start teaching. And I told him, Hmm. you know, I just met with him one day, and was like, yeah, I would love to, you know, uh, work with design and do web pages and things like that. I had an interest in it in high school. And he's like, well, you know, you should probably change your major, because you're not going to find that here and I did I changed the math and I still didn't you know find it everything I learned was pretty much been self-taught but you know again if you're talking about people that really want to do this and want to get into it and want to go to the right schools and sort of follow that path I mean the generational wealth and money that is sort of one part of it I think another part of it that's really big and this is something that is echoed in the 1987 and the 1990 article which I think still rings true today Is that there are too few professionals that are in the industry right now that are taking a really active interest in students Um, and that can be you know for mentorship that can be for internships what have you there's not enough people that are sort of taking that interest uh, so they can bring people up into the field part of that is you know if you're a black student and you're at an art school or something like that and you don't see anyone that kind of looks like you that that could be an issue I'm not saying that is an issue it could be an issue. I do know that it is important to sort of have the optics to know that, okay, I see someone that looks like me that's in this position I want to be at. So therefore, I think it might be possible. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for people of color, I think that's something that is that is important. I'm not saying that that's you know the primary reason. I want to be clear about that, but I think that's something that's important.
1: And that's where the media comes into play too, right? Like the oh, absolutely the lack of exposure for the for the black designers that are out there doing great work, and you know how how infrequently they're featured on those lists of best designers of all time on fast company or whatever. Um, As, as silly as those lists are, that has a real impact when, especially, you know, it's easy. I think um, when you've been in the industry for a while to kind of look at those, look at those quantified lists of, people that are the best at what they do and kind of scoff and know that they're (laughs) silly and like you know a trivial thing but when you're new and fresh in the field like that's the kind of stuff you look to right when you have we don't have your bearings that's exactly how you kind of start to understand the the boundaries of the field you're working in and that's you know i think it's one of the areas where it's actually most important that we have like some kind of reasonable representation of the field because that's what you do first when you first start getting to know something is you you look at those things so (laughs) i think it's, it's definitely a problem
2: yeah, and the problem sort of further persists when, one, there are people that are sort of screaming that, yes, the design industry is a meritocracy, and it's just about the work. It's not about any other sort of factors that might go into that, which oh, I think yeah. is is total bullshit. Like, it's not just about the work. I'm pretty sure we all know it's about, you know, networking, who you know. It is about your skill level, of course, but there are all these other factors that can go into what, you know, Spells out success for you in this industry, whatever that might be to you, whatever you know someone's personal definition of success is.
1: It's funny; you almost never see anybody that's not a white guy talking about how the whole world is a meritocracy and everybody that does the best stuff <laughs> always succeeds. This is true. I mean, well, I mean, and they no, worked really hard and they succeeded. So clearly, no one I mean, wants it, to look
0: back at their own life and be like, "Well, I guess, I guess it wasn't all me." No one wants to do that, <laughs> of course.
1: I, I mean, and and that's, I mean, that's part of it too. I, I think part of this is like how uncomfortable it is for everybody to confront that reality right like it's it's no fun to but that's the reality though i know i totally like and that's that's the thing honestly it took me a long time to like admit that to myself too but it's hard to look back and be like i have an unfair advantage and to like look at that and say that that was definitely true because you you don't want it feels shitty because it, it feels like it's taking away from your accomplishments and it feels like it's admitting that the world is not a fair playing field, which no one no one wants to be the, you know, everyone wants to be the underdog. No one wants to be the incumbent yeah. uh, that everyone expects to do great things. <laughs> no one wants to really kind of uh,
2: examine their privilege and, and see. And I mean, I can understand when people might look at this as some sort of a weird uh, social justice slant. There are people that will say, oh, this is just affirmative action. This is tokenism. I know Andy Rutledge a while back had this sort of satirical side. I wouldn't call the shit that. But it was something where it was talking about uh, conference quotas and why there are not enough black speakers or, or things like that. And he put up the site called conference quotas. It was just this really bad.
1: I remember uh, that terrible. thing. Yeah.
2: But you know, you'll have these sorts of things kind of being thrown around to diminish the argument that, you know, yeah, there are some things that you can't even control. Like the, through no, there's nothing that you could have done to have been born a white guy. And that has given you certain advantages that you may not have even been aware of that have gotten you to where you are now I don't mm-hmm. think there's a problem with examining that I mean no one is no one's asking you to like give yourself 40 lashes every day over this you know yeah there's nothing you can do to change it so we're not not trying to punish you for it you know what I mean
1: of course yeah and I, I think um one of the one of the things that makes this so challenging is that it's so hard to confront people about this because it so often feels like that kind of assault to people or at least they get, they get defensive in a way that you think I, I I'm I'm being like very thinly veiled because i got in some stupid twitter argument a couple days ago (laughs) with this dumb guy uh that runs uh he runs another podcast and he's it's the podcast is supposed to be like the uh the leaders in the creative industry interview show and over the course of his podcast like one percent of the people have been women and it's been 99 men uh Uh, and i like mentioned something because one of my friends was talking to him about it and he was just like well, if you're interested in making a show that represents women, why don't you do that? That's your thing. And, you know, this super defensive thing where clearly he felt like we were being like, you, sir, are a sexist, like you are a monster. And that was not the case, right? We were only asking this person to examine the history of their show and maybe ask themselves the question of, hmm, why are all of these people that I've identified as creative leaders almost entirely men? What is going on here? And how can I be more sort of thoughtful of this? Uh, cuz people like everyone at every level is like well I'm not a racist so I'm not the problem uh but that complicity is what causes these systems to kind of like keep reinventing and keep pe- pe-
0: pe- perpetuating uh, but it, it it's hard to it's hard to bring it up and not sound aggressive like how do you how do you yeah. say that to somebody and not sound like you're being accusatory you're calling them a racist you're calling that cuz like uh it's easy to sit back and and just listen to it and like quietly take in all the things that worked out like and I did get one of those internships that I kind of needed some support for, like, you can do all the things in your own head, but like, if you point that out to somebody else, it does sound very aggressive, and I don't know... Well,
1: yeah, it feels bad to, <laughs> it feels even worse for someone else to, like, realize that, well, maybe you didn't, right? Like, that, that realization that this is the first time maybe you're thinking about this, and someone else identified it before you did, is also terrible. But I think that's, like, a really important step, I think, in this conversation, and, you know, this, this conversation is tied very closely to women in technology and design, I think. It's, like, all the same things are basically, like, the people in power are uh, not, <laughs> not recognizing how the systems that have uh, shaped the industry and shaped themselves are inherently biased. Right. Um, I think a big part of having that conversation is figuring out, Matt, how to, like, how to say that and have somebody not immediately go into defensive, well, I'm not a racist, I'm not a sexist mode, because that's not helping anybody. Well, right? I mean, I, right. I think
2: so. So part of it is this, you know, if the person I think is getting defensive, it means you probably struck something. You've you probably you're probably getting close to the truth if that happens. You've probably struck a right. nerve in, in some respect. But also I think that, you know, there's this uh I don't know, there seems to be this pathological need or, or want for these types of conversations to be comfortable. That these conversations have to be easy and simple and and, you know, we can sit down and have tea and crumpets and discuss this like gentlemen kind of thing. When, mm-hmm. you know, these are these are uncomfortable subjects. You have to have the uncomfortable conversations. I don't think there really is a way to do this um, and talk about this and not get, you know, a little bit emotional about it in some sort of way. Yeah. I really don't think that's and possible. That's a good
1: point, too, because, you know, I'm I'm sitting here as the privileged person going, it's hard to hear that I'm privileged. And, of course, it's much harder to not be privileged than to be, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely think it's probably uh, the fault of the people that are in power and they are the ones that need to sort of change and figure out how they can have more honest conversations with themselves. But yeah, that, that seems to me to be a big, a big roadblock.
2: Yeah. Like, like there needs to be, there, there just needs to be more of the conversations happening and people can't be scared by the fact that they may get angry. It may get heated. You know, they may be perceived in a certain sort of way. That, that's kind of another thing. So there's one thing that you mentioned about someone might say, well, I'm not a racist. I don't think anyone is calling these people racist. I don't think that the people that are even no. doing these things are even cognizant that the patterns that they're doing look bad to other people in a particular way, and it's like when you bring it up to them, it's like, oh, how dare you? You know, I've worked hard to do X, Y, Z, and no one is discounting your hard work or anything like that. We're just saying, look at it from this angle, or why don't mm-hmm. you have this? You know, I, I can give you a prime example: uh, the .NET Awards last year, when they had their nominees that that came out and then. I believe it was Allison House that did a post that was sort of breaking down that, you know, this many were men, this many percent were men and this many percentage were white or something like that. And people kind of attacked her for even like bringing it up. You know, it's so, not not even, so not even not even an attack. It's just, "Oh, I noticed yeah. XYZ." And they're like, oh, "How
1: dare you count? Yeah, Stop you know, counting the, over the there." The <laughs> monocle
2: drops into the teacup and you're like, "Oh, you know, that sort of thing. It's like you can't be afraid if someone brings that up to you. No one is Like no one's trying to like take your lunch money. We're trying to have honest conversations about it. And if you feel that even having the conversation is something that, you know, is going to, it's something that you want to be comfortable. That's, I don't know. You, I feel like you can't really have this on your terms like that. That also is exercising privilege.
3: Yeah. But is there any sort of way that that conversation could be started that uh, isn't like, it doesn't feel like somebody's trying to, create an argument where they actually want to create a dialogue because I kind of feel like sometimes one one side will try to uh, begin, it, begin the conversation in just like the normal tone that they have and just kind of like in the way that they would speak and then the other side ends up feeling like oh my god that's so offensive um, I can't believe that you even said that like I wonder if there's anything that could be done to try to make that conversation at least start off a little bit more painless and then it could get progressively more uncomfortable and more critical but like is there just a way to be able to break down
1: the, the initial barrier
2: i think it just i think it just has to start like the conversation really just
1: yeah has to start and that, exactly right like maurice has a point and i think the only way we're gonna like get anywhere is if we just keep having that conversation enough times that it's no longer an unexpected thing right that somebody exactly would you know take that perspective and look at things that way or no longer unexpected that someone would ask hey why is this this way to somebody who is running something that has representation involved in, it, that is in a position of power? Uh, I think it is just kind of like the repetition that will get us somewhere, right? Like to to make this a more, a more public conversation and less of a thing that just happens amongst people that are, you know, being careful and thoughtful uh, is probably a good step. Hmm. Can someone explain to me when... Social justice became a, a bad word. Like, who who looks at the term social justice and is like, yeah, I don't want that. That's bad. Like that, that's that's a no brainer, right? And somehow this like idea of <laughs> of being out for social justice is now like a like a slant. It's like a derogatory jab at somebody. Like, oh, you're just a social justice warrior. It's like, well, yeah, social justice sounds pretty good.
2: I think we can blame Tumblr for that. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say, can't you like uh, plot the the arc of Tumblr and then the arc of that term and just like, <laughs> there's, there's probably some point. Yeah. I did want to bring up one thing that I, I, that I feel like is, is oftentimes an argument in these things, specifically when we're talking about design competitions. Because one thing, one thing you can say about design is there may be many situations where, like, you'll see the work and you'll never know who the designer is. You don't know if they're a white person. You don't know if they're a black person. They It might be a team of people and it might be one person. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. But I think there are – you still might see similar results. And it makes me wonder the kind of deeper question of, like, are we – like being attracted to things that are like clearly of our own culture and picking only those things. And does it go even deeper than that? Um, And like excluding things because that looks different than what I'm used to calling design or what, that's an idea that I'm is kind of foreign to me. So I'm not going to pick that as the winning whatever poster album cover, whatever it is. Like, do you often, I guess my question for Maurice is do you encounter that in your life and have to argue that point? Or is that like, that let's, let's try to get to that step and then we'll argue that point We're we're one step before that.
2: Well, so it's interesting you mentioned that cause I've actually been a judge for, um, a couple of those types of kind of award competitions. Um, w three, I think it's w three. Uh, I, I can't recall off the top of my head, but they, they have something I've judged, I think for the past two years now, it's communic not communication arts communication. It's, it's escaping me right now, but I've judged these types of, of, um, of award events before and really it's like Mm -hmm. you go through a website you look at the url you don't know who well you have an idea of who designed it they may tell you like the name of the studio or something but you're you're basically just looking at the site evaluating it against some criteria and you're ranking it um when it gets to that point i can say from a judging aspect it really doesn't matter it just matters whether or not it fits for that particular category i mean there's been i've seen so many like really shitty russian websites for stuff that's like, <laughs> I don't, like, what are you doing? I don't even know what this is. Um, But sort of speaking back to that, like, I guess you're, you're talking about for whether or not, like, black designers are interested or entering these types of things and, and getting that type of notoriety. Is that what you mean? Well, I don't even know if I'm no. asking that. I don't know if I'm
0: there if, if I'm asking if, if black designers are entering or if, like, what if your culture inspires you to do something different than what the kind of traditional design design, uh, media culture is used to seeing uh-huh. and that somehow like that just gets skipped over you know yeah
1: because design is not this like monolithic thing right like it's cultural output the same way that music or dance or anything else is I, I think there are right, exactly
0: to that like, point like deep deep roots of
1: like differences that are going to come through in every person that, that goes and makes a design thing I think what Matt's saying is that like because this industry is so incumbently white and you know we're founded <laughs> like not on, everything's
0: like a Vignelli poster like it could be exactly. something very right very different looking, but still judged by the standard of say, like whatever your whatever you were taught in design, and maybe that was modernism, and maybe modernism was just like a thing founded by a bunch of white guys in the seventies.
2: It's now, now that you put it that way, I'm I'm remembering a piece that was done by um, Sylvia Harris, the late Sylvia Harris, that was in a book by um, Stephen Heller. I think it was called The Education of a Graphic Designer. I think that's what it's called, but it's like mm-hmm. an anthology. Of pieces and part of the piece that she talks about does kind of reference that you know a lot of what people see as design right now in the United States does kind of come from this old world European aesthetic where you're talking about like you said realism and these other types of forms what if you know you are from South America and your your cultural art point of view is not that of like this old like you know European world if it's something different or if you're from uh. Nigeria and what you see as art is something completely different from what you would see in Switzerland or something like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, you know, kind of to your point, I mean, yeah. When, when it comes to judging and things like that, because, well, hmm, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know.
0: it's, it's not a, it's not a question I think has an easy answer. Like yeah. I've been in the same position you have where you're kind of, you're put in front of a bunch of work, you're asked to judge it. You don't even know who's doing it. But the the question I have to ask myself later thinking about it right now is like, what, you know, what was I, ju- like, what were the things I was discounting because they just looked kind of, uh, they didn't look like what my idea, what it was supposed to be is, right. you know? Yeah, who, and- who put
1: those rules in your head, right? And the answer is some old white dudes put those rules in your head for what, what the correct and right and, you know, what the, the sort of paragon of design is, is this, like, thing that, and it, design is so recent, too, like, it's such a young... Like what we're talking about, like graphic design and web design and product design, these things are all like in the last 100 years, really, that they were became a thing that was formally codified. Uh, So it's not like it's a thing that has this like long, glorious history with like deep roots. It's like a very shallow thing that was made and kind of like was spurned off of advertising a little bit. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it occurs to me like design culture is just it's white culture right now in a lot of ways and i think that's part of the problem is that on a really low level sure you can say that you know you run some studio and you're not a racist of course and you know all these other things but the sort of what we look at and assume is design with a capital d what we study in the textbooks the people that wrote the textbooks it's all white culture yeah in a bad way (laughs) just so we're clear in a bad way (laughs) There's a, I don't know, I feel like there's a, a huge uh, breadth of influences that is being left out of the industry in favor of kind of this, kind of this uh, homogenousness, homogeneity, what's the word?
2: Homogeneity? Homogeneity. Sameness. Yeah.
1: Same, yeah, that word. So how do we solve it then, Maurice? Uh, We've really really kind of covered the problem, I think. Uh, So we're ready to hear the solution. I got got my notebook out. If you could just tell me what to do to make this go away and I'll write it down and do it. So
2: part of what I think happens is that the people that are in power, and when I say in power, I, I know that some people might not feel like if they're running a site or running a conference that they may not have a particular amount of power, but they do. So the people that are...
1: That's a really important point, I think, too, right? Like, so many people are like, this is just the thing I did for fun. Why are you being critical of it? And it's like, well, the thing you did for fun now has a million downloads. So now, congratulations, you did a fun thing and it became very popular. Now you have a voice and a responsibility. Whoops.
2: Well, okay, so that word responsibility. I'm not sure that the people that might be making or creating these things feel like they have a greater responsibility to the design community.
1: Is that, should they feel that way? Or is it, you think it's okay that everyone kind of creates their own thing and you can make something that is 99% white dudes and everyone will say that's a problem and you can just keep doing your thing. Well, I mean, I think it should be Uh, truthful.
2: I mean, if it, if it ends up being something where it is 99% white dudes, like don't like own that, you know, and whether people flock to that or not is the truth, but don't say that, oh, we're doing this for the design community and you're only presenting a particular facet of what that looks like.
1: One of my favorite games to play is whenever somebody says a thing that sounds like a, a, a rule, or sounds like a dogma, or it sounds like a, you know, it's, it's got, it sounds like it's like a truism, right? Like, it just sounds right when someone says it. I always tack on to the end of it, according to this person, uh, which really helps me, I think, in understanding how things work, right? You know, I, I, I read the description of some podcast that's mostly white dudes, and it says, like, uh, highlighting all of the best People in the creative industry, and I tack on according to the host mm-hmm. <laughs> in my head. And all of a sudden, it, it puts, like, put in that context, it makes so much more sense. But people all want to, no one wants to, you know, be the thing that is so specific to their own bias and, and kind of perspective. But that is the inevitability, right? Like, it's very hard and requires a lot of active work to reach outside of that bubble that you have for yeah, yourself, outside of your own. Yeah. Like
2: I was saying, like, the people that are the ones that are in power have to concede. Some of that power. Now, how that looks is going to vary depending on what the platform is. And, like you say, there are going to be people. I know when uh, the things that I've heard from conference people, especially when it comes to like finding black speakers and things like that, it's like, oh, it's so hard. It's just so hard. I'm like, yeah, like putting together a fucking conference is a cakewalk. Yeah. (laughs) Like,
1: oh, (laughs) it's just. Well, unfortunately, some of these things are a little bit too easy right now because there's just people. There's white dudes that'll talk to your conference crawling out of the walls. So, you know, you put up one little call on Twitter and you can have, you know, plenty of people to do that. It's running a, like, good conference is hard, right? Like, running a conference that actually presents differing perspectives is hard. Well, well I mean, uh, and even and people don't yeah, want to do Well, even things.
2: with that, it's like it can't be a field of dreams type of situation where if you feel like, oh, well, we put up a call for uh, speakers and we only got white people. So, I don't know what to say. Well, did you do any outreach? Like, is diversity something that's important to your conference overall? And if so, what measures or actions have you taken to make sure that your speaker panels or what have you present that kind of diverse uh, makeup that you want to have? Now, one conference that I think does this really, really well, shout out to Go Media in Cleveland, Ohio. They do the Weapons of Mass Creation Fest. Um, Mm -hmm. this This current year will be their sixth year for it. And they've had, I think, a diversity track, oh, my God, I think for the last three years now. I spoke at it last year where there was a panel where we talked about, like, um, well, they had a race and culture panel, and then they had a gender and sexuality panel. And so they made that, like, part of their programming, and the program organizers sought people out and said, hey, we're doing this. Who should we speak with? Who, Who do we need to talk to? And granted, some of that is kind of, you know, well, we don't want to do your work for you. Like you should do the work, but mm-hmm. I think even doing that little bit of outreach is more than what most conference organizers will do. And again, I'm I'm sort yeah. of speaking out my ass here. I've never organized a conference. I don't really. Hey, that's know. what we do every
1: show, Maurice. So you feel right. <laughs> <in>. But <laughs> but I
2: think that you know if you you know there's probably the same like six or seven dozen people that run the conference circuit and how they're chosen. It might just be someone in their rolodex. Like oh, we're just gonna pick these six people. It's easier. I'm gonna turn to the designer sitting next to me. With the macbook pro and ask him if he wants to speak and he'll say yes and it'll just be simple but if if -hmm. diversity is something that is not really in your professional life in that way but you want it to be reflected in in a conference or in a a panel or a talk or something like that you have to seek it out and the thing is that now more than ever there are so many more outlets than there used to be to try to find this like if you're looking for black designers yeah you can come to revision path you can come to Blacks in technology. You can come to Smart Brown Voices. You can come to Of Ten Podcast. If you're looking for specifically Latino voices, you can go to Dev Latino. Uh, Jason Major is doing a wonderful job with highlighting and showcasing uh, Latinos in the tech and design fields. So there's more out there now than there used to be. Um, whether or not you're going to go and find it uh-huh. by doing a simple Google search is completely up to you. You know, yeah. is it going to be on I Stack think- Overflow? Probably not. But I think if you can do a Google search for something that you're trying to figure out some pesky programming problem, you can do the same thing and try to find a group or something that can help diversify your event.
1: And this is something I've had direct experience with. I haven't organized a big event, but I've organized some small events. And I think more more applicably, like we have hired people at Friends of the Web, right? We have put out, you know, job listings, job postings and interview people and made hires, And uh, for a long time, I frankly really, really struggled with this, right? Because I knew that this was a problem that I cared about and wanted to do my part in. But also, I'm running a small business and, you know, sometimes doing the outreach that is necessary, sometimes finding the correct channels, interviewing 60 candidates instead of four uh, to really do your due diligence and find you know, as many people as you can possibly find to give everybody a fair shake, that it, like straight up costs money. That's an expensive uh, proposition when you're trying to run a business. And it occurred to me too that um, so many people in the tech world, and I think the design world, especially the design world that is sort of adjacent to tech, their their values are entirely on like identifiable skills, right? Like everybody wants the, the 10 X developer or the, the ninjas and the rock stars that are just like the best at doing their job quantifiably. And that's like their, that's their value, right? They want the team of people that are all the best at whatever it is they do. And everything else seems to be a secondary consideration. Um, And so I, I understand how, if that's your value set, uh, you almost never hire anybody but white dudes because they are in abundance. Uh, and so if you are in, talking to 95% white dudes, the chances are that the per- best person you talk to, if you're just ch- checking off those boxes, is going to be a white dude. So I get how if those are your values, that's how you end up hiring. And it occurred to me that like it was such a simple like switch. I had to flip in my brain to change the perspective on it, which was just that instead of thinking oh, all the best tires are going to be white dudes, but we should hire somebody else because it's the right thing to do. Instead, you just have to v- actually truly value diversity and think it will make your company better and make you do better design work. And if you think that, then all of a sudden, like there's this like playing field of uh, pros and cons for each candidate or pros and cons for each speaker at a conference. Uh, if that's truly one of your like core values, it it, it solves the problem almost right away right. because, you know, you may talk to the people that, can check all your little boxes on your can write this kind of JavaScript and are really good at and contributed to Ruby core or whatever. Um, but if they have this exact same life experience you've had more or less and the exact same perspective on the world, then you're going to solve problems the same way forever. Yeah. And uh, until you value having different perspectives on your team or at your conference at a really low level, it's going to feel like tokenism. It's going to feel like you're just phoning it in. Uh, and I think that's that's that was something I had to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I'm not proud to admit that, but like that was something I had to learn, right? That this was actually something we valued. Otherwise, it never felt right. Right.
2: And like you say, it has to be a value. If it's not a value, I think that that's okay. But you also have to be aware that if someone brings it up to you and it's not one of your values that you... I, I don't want to say you're going to have to stick to it, but like I think... No, you do. Well, I think there are people that are trying to look at diversity only so they'll stay out of trouble. So they won't get yeah. talked about in a negative light. <laughs> no, exactly, right? exactly. You know? exactly, There's a lot it's of like, that. we're going to do that. So nobody, you know, so we don't get the, we don't attract like the Twitter lynch mob or whatever. You know, there are certainly uh, companies and organizations and, and events that will do that. But sort of speaking to what you were saying about recruiting. So I went to an historically black college. Uh, Morehouse College is, I, I don't know how well known it is outside of the black community. I would like to think it is because Martin Luther King graduated from there. As well as Spike Lee, Samuel L. Jackson, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Moros is a very prestigious school. When it came down for me, I know when I was trying to find a job, uh, like junior year, there were, I think, only a handful of tech companies that came. Like, I think Microsoft came, uh, Real Player, show you how old I am, came. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. I know that there are, are, big companies that probably don't even look at HBCUs to do recruiting. And there are HBCUs that are doing really like, I don't know what they're doing necessarily in terms of research, but in terms of education, the education is top notch Howard university, Florida A&M university, uh, Jackson state university, for example, in Jackson, Mississippi is an Apple distinguished school. So they have, you know, money and, and equipment from Apple where they're doing amazing things. They've got like this great media lab and everything down there. I, interviewed uh, the art director for the podcast a few months ago, and he told me about all this great stuff that they're doing, and I'm like, I don't even know how many people from HBCUs are even going on to these like bigger tech and design companies because I'm not even sure if those tech and design companies are doing recruiting at HBCUs. Uh, there's a particular tweet that I saw uh, it was the other day. I was interviewing um, Ashley Nelson-Hornstein. She's an iOS developer at Dropbox, and she had made mention of a tweet uh, that she did to Square where, um, if you go to their, um, if you go to their hiring page and you're trying to fill out an application, and you choose the school, they have a list of schools already pre-populated, and and then <laughs> like at the bottom of <laughs> that, it just says other, and it's like, oh well, yeah, I didn't go to Stanford or any of these other schools. I'm just an other, you know. Ooh. Is that like a, a form of like filtering, Whoops. or is it self-selection, or things like that? And,
1: you know, her and I had also... Well, I, here's what it was. I, I tell you, I guarantee you, Marie, somebody sat somewhere and said, huh, most of our applications are coming from these schools. We should just make those default selects. It'll make the user experience more streamlined yeah. uh, with, without, without even casting half a consideration for how that would make people feel that weren't coming from one of the colleges that they've sort of pre-selected back, to be the quick the
3: quick yeah, fills. Yeah, back
2: when I worked at AT&T several years ago as a designer, um, I remember that first day when they, like, took me around and introduced me to everyone... Everyone that was pretty much a designer there had went to the Art Institute of Atlanta or they went to Atlanta College of Art. So they all kind of knew each other and at and kind of specifically pulled from that school for designers. And so I'm coming in and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I went to Morehouse. They're like, where's that? Like, well, if you look out the window, like past the Georgia Dome, <laughs> that's where Morehouse is. Like it's in Atlanta, just like, you know, the Art Institute of Atlanta is in Atlanta. And people would think, oh, oh you went to Morehead. In Kentucky, I'm like no. I went to Morehouse. It's right here in Atlanta, um, but but like you know, it's we're on campus right, right now. Right, it's like that's but it's <laughs> here we are in the it's library. It's that sort of thing where maybe companies are are looking for a particular you know quote unquote culture fit. They're not going to take that time to sort of nurture employees that may come from that may have the talent but don't necessarily come from that particular school that they're looking for in order to you know to work for them. And that's
1: the thing, right? And maybe this is a more elegant way of saying what I brambled on about for a while earlier, but so many people will say, oh, I am in charge of hiring or finding speakers, and you know what What can I help it if all the best candidates are white and go to Stanford or MIT? And the answer is uh, you can't help it. Your values are just that those people are the best. You, you can't change that. All you can do is change your values that say that this is what the best candidate is and this is what defines the best possible candidate. And you're looking at these kind of concrete uh, or what you think are concrete skills, and you're you're kind of ruling out all these other important considerations, these human aspects, which are hugely important in design. And I feel like I, I'm am disappointed because I feel like design, especially, is an industry that I, I I wish respected this.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: I'm just saying I'm I'm less surprised that like the tech world, right, with their uh, their meritocracy rugs and their <laughs> you know belief that you can just build the world you want all the time, and why wouldn't you just do it? Um, I'm less surprised that this kind of problems are prevalent there. But like design is su- supposed to be so much more empathetic and human centered and thoughtful than this kind of big machine of, of technology. But we have all the exact same problems. We suffer from the exact same issues. Yeah, like
2: everything that we use is designed. The chairs that we're sitting in, the apartments that we live in, the beds we sleep on, all of that has been designed in some sort of way. So making sure that you have- And mostly by white people. And mostly by white people, yeah. We can't, end, we can't
0: end there I don't
2: think
0: <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> so well, well let's, let's actually let's go into the revision path just a little bit and like clearly you started the show with a, with a goal I don't know if it was only to highlight um, you know prominent black designers and developers um, who you thought deserved a spotlight but I assume also having done a hundred interviews at this point that you've probably changed your mind or learned some new things or gathered some experience that you otherwise wouldn't have had, not conducting these interviews. Like what, what, I guess one, what, what did you want to do when you started that thing? Like, were you trying to create a place where, you know, recruiters and people putting together conferences can go and say like, Oh, well it was so hard for me before. Thank you for finally making a stop. Or like, did you just want to learn what was happening around you specifically in, you know, the black experience of being a designer?
2: I would probably say it's a little bit of both. So when I started Revision Path, I should say I had the Revision Path, the idea for Revision Path, probably since around 2006 or so. But I've I've had the idea for a long time, but I was doing other things. I was in grad school, I was doing the Black Weblog Awards, and I never had the time to really sort of put it forth and actually do it and make it a thing. Once it got to, you know, around 2013, I had the time and I wanted to do it. Initially, when I did it, it was basically so I could showcase people that I knew were really black, were really good black designers and developers and such. I wasn't really looking at it as, oh, this is something that I'm doing for the industry. Now, my hope was that, okay, maybe if I do enough of these, industry will kind of start to take notice and say, okay, you know what? There are talented black designers out here. Here's one place that we can find them, et cetera, et cetera. That was never my initial goal. My initial goal has always been to just create the platform to allow these people to tell their stories, to show off who they are and what they do. That's always been the initial goal.
1: I think you've succeeded pretty well. Thank you. It's a good show. Everyone should listen to it. Oh,
2: yeah. Every Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern.
1: You, you're you a machine. Like you, you have a real, I think, dedication uh, that I I'm super admiring of. I feel like uh matt is the one of the three of us that has a little bit of that dedication if if not for matt i don't think this show would would make it out on a regular basis (laughs) thank you Um, matt thank you (laughs) matt Matt. thanks dad anytime thanks dad (laughs) yeah real real tight ship you run over there that's that's a good thing
0: i actually do want to this is something did i say this at the beginning of the show that we we chatted a little while ago this summer and one thing you brought up that was kind of I didn't even think about it. It was kind of shocking to me, but obviously you've had to deal with this. Like, I know you've had to deal with people saying like, well, you do a show that's only about black designers. That's racist. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) And
1: it's (laughs) hilarious to me. Oh my God. I
2: get that at least, at least once or twice a week. Once or twice a week, <laughs> really? seriously? Yeah,
1: oh yeah.
2: Oh no, <laughs> my goodness. And it just, it's one of those things, like, it does sound,
0: like, it sounds just, like, bitter it's, and I salty, mean, but, like, you do have to respond to it and deal with it every day, right? So Yeah, I
2: mean, I want to say it's, like, background noise almost at this point, where I feel like, oh, really? Okay, yeah, well.
1: But, I mean, it's, it's weird. I, I, will, I will out myself here and say that when I was younger, like a kid, my idea of racism was like, oh, if you ever take somebody's race into account, that means you're being racist, so... Like there was a time in my life where I probably would have thought, by the textbook definition, that doing a show that only highlighted black people and didn't look at all the talented white people was somehow racist.
2: Well, um, yeah, the the way like, that it's framed though is like, why don't you <laughs> showcase all designers, and yeah. why is it only yeah. black designers? And I mean, I know that's I know it's what like, that's well, code the world for. is
1: a showcase for all the white designers, so I'm trying to do my part to level the playing I'm like, field. There are thank you dozens very much.
2: of other podcasts out here. Like you look at their past archives, and they've only talked. The white guys, with maybe the exception of, like, Dan Mall or John Maida or a couple of other people. Like, other than that, you know, it's pretty much the same people. So the fact that I'm doing it... And it's something that you said that was interesting when you said... I think you said the word prominent at some point. So a lot of the people that I've interviewed, this is their very first interview. This is the first time that anyone has ever talked to them about the work that they've done. So in a way, that's almost... um. I don't want to say criminal, but it's almost bad because some of these are really good designers. This is the first time anyone has said, hey, tell me about what you do. And like actually talk to them. You should
0: reframe your whole show and just be like, Revision Path is an outlet for people to do their first interview and then just like <laughs> only black people and be like wait hey wait a minute what's happening here
1: <laughs> or just just lean into it and be like the show about all the best graphic designers that's why right, all of them <laughs> and still only talk to black people <laughs> and then all you get 10 times more of the angry tweets of people that are like what do you mean right you have not even talked Well it's to- funny
2: you mentioned that cuz one thing that I wanted to do when I named the show I initially wanted to make it so it didn't oh, I'm probably going to catch shit for this, but I didn't want the name to sound black, in that, like, black was in the title, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want it to be, like, the Black Designer Podcast, or anything like that, because I had already went, I already went through years of that shit with the Black Weblog Awards, you know, catching hell over that, because it had black in the name, so I was like, if I do something else, I'm, I want it to be obvious by the optics, but I'm not going to put it, like, in the name of the project.
1: And to a degree, right. too, it's probably the same reason that, you know, Matt, Dan, and I weren't like, we're going to put design in the name of our podcast, because it's so on the nose, right? Like right. It seems so shallow, right? To, to, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, if you say, you know, the Black Designer Podcast, uh, then I think the perception, like, what that name kind of subtly communicates is that these people were chosen because they were black, not because they were talented designers with interesting perspectives and, you know, thoughts that are worth being heard. Uh, But because of that reason. Uh, So I I think I I love the name. I think it's actually a really great name Vision Path.
0: Well, the other thing, too, is I think there's this almost I mean, it's funny because in like in a way we're doing it. But I hope we're doing it in a more sensitive way where it's like if you did that, you're now the representation of like every black designer in the whole world. (laughs) And you now speak for everyone on this topic. And that is Um, a fear
1: of mine about honestly doing the show we're doing right now. Right. Like here we are. Three white dudes like please come in and explain this to us we can't be bothered to read about it on our own uh, so
0: <laughs> but I, remember, I, mean, I mean even like i remember when we had i don't think i don't think you were on the show andy but like uh we had uh gatan nagita on like a while ago like he's a great black designer doing really interesting stuff but like one thing he mentioned to us I remember, it was just toward the end of the show and i hadn't even really thought about it but he just said like you know there are some other jobs i worked at where like people would come up to me and be just like hey can you give us like an urban perspective yeah um, I've gotten that. No one ever like,
1: asked me for that. I've lived in a city for eight years.
0: And you know what you know what they mean, but they're basically saying, like, oh, you were hired here because you're supposed to be the one representative of everything that we think is supposed to mean black. And so go ahead. Right. Go. Go yeah. do that. Katamba,
1: could you just black it up
0: a bit? I've I've, you know? I've gotten
2: that. I've gotten black it up. I've gotten the urban perspective. I've gotten the weird like hand symbol. Like gesticulation, you know what I mean? Like yo, like b-boy oh, like kind of thing. Not gonna shake your hand, like yeah. I'm go, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten all of that. I've gotten, you know, like the spontaneous hair, like reach for the hair. Like wait a minute, I've gotten all of that. So <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I too am a person that has personal space uh, that needs to be respected. Believe it or actually,
2: not. Actually, it's funny. So funny story. I, I actually had started growing out my hair because I was working at a job that I wanted to get fired from because I heard that they had this sort of like weird claws around like black people and the hairstyles that they had and huh, and I was not really? and I was not super happy working there just in general but I didn't want to like can't imagine what what well, I, well, I didn't want to like quit because I had quit the job before that so I didn't want to like get into this habit of like quitting jobs and i was like oh let me start growing my hair out and see if they say <laughs> anything." Cool boy
3: let me tell you about that and they never and they
2: never <laughs> said anything i just went and wrote out like the rest of my contract and and left like oh well it's it's over it was like a six yeah. month contract
3: <laughs> no, no,
1: that, now i have this cool hair to show yeah for there you it. go
3: Now okay just just so full disclosure is involved like i would totally go to reach your hair because i don't have any and i would just like <laughs> would want to put something on my head so i could have hair again
1: but would you read for my hair or matt's hair dan that's no, hair too. No, you know. no, no. Uh, well, at least you're being honest. I, I yeah. appreciate the, the forthcoming nature. <laughs> so I guess we solved it then, right? That's good. Yep. Done. I'm, really, I'm really glad that someone finally solved this problem. That's that's it, was, it needed to be. We solved. got close. I think we got um,
2: close enough. You know. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
1: Maurice, is, was this? Uh, candidly, was this like, okay, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not joking about my, my f- fear that, you know, us basically having you come on to talk about the perspective of an entire chunk of the designer population is, you know, not without this. It's a little bit fraught. Right? Um, d- is this, does this work? Is this, what, how are you feeling th- out of curiosity? I think it's
2: a start. I, I really do think it's a start. And like, you know, sort of like what I was talking about before we both talked about before, like the conversations just have to start. The fact that there are people that are like, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. I don't know how to talk about this in a way that's not going to be, you know, offensive. Well, unfortunately, these kinds of things are rooted in other, you know, kind of socioeconomic and sociological issues where it's not going to be comfortable to talk about it. So you either have to, you know, get over it and just start talking about it or keep, like, you know, feeling this self pity because you didn't have the conversation.
1: Yeah. This kind of fear that, I always have around conversations like this is that my natural tendency as you may or may not be able to tell is to try and like th- i think out loud right like i think by talking things out conversations are important for me and you know as as this podcast is going on i'm thinking in my head like oh could somebody could probably take this audio file and make a graph and find out that <laughs> oops on the show about oh, no. black graphic designers andy talked more than half of the time <laughs> he's a white guy what the fuck or you know when, I when, hope when no one the, does
2: that. Please don't. Yeah. I hope no
1: one does that too. This is this is how messed up my head is, though, Maurice. That's the kind of thing I think about as this show's going on. Uh, and you know, I, I like when when all this stuff happened in Ferguson too. Uh, you know, I it felt like a thing that I wanted to talk about, but at the same time, I didn't want to be like the the white dude that's just like talking about something in a thoughtless way. Uh, and so that's something I personally struggle with is like how much of these conversations are. Right to be a part of how much my opinion really matters at all when it comes to things like this, mm-hmm. um, and I think I, we were talking about. So, so uh, I think
2: there's there's something a little bit interesting that you you slightly touched on there. So, one thing that I think when you're like the sole black employee or or sole black person somewhere, you often end up subconsciously or or even not to any fault of your own, end up in this position where you have to be like the representative. And you're like, look, I'm just one person. I don't represent Mm -hmm. like the entire black race. I don't represent everyone. I represent myself. And so I think that Mm -hmm. when uh, white people start to talk about these issues that kind of have to do with race, they end up being put in that same type of position where they're like, look, I just want to represent myself. I'm not like the representative. But unfortunately, if nobody else is really speaking about it, you sort of, you know, by default become the representative, if that makes any sense. Because you're the one that yeah, spoke yeah. up about it.
1: And and one of the dangers of ever being in a position where somebody is perceived to be, like, the sole representative of something is that if you're saying there you can have one representative, you're saying it's this, like, monolith of a, of a thing, right? It's a monoculture if there's one person can represent it completely. And, of course, that's not true of black graphic designers. It's not true of white people. Like, there's immense diversity within these separate groups. Uh, you know, so that's a huge part of it, too, right? To even think subconsciously that, like, this is a thing that can be represented so simply or so, sort of so with one specific perspective. Oh yeah, is, a- absolutely.
2: Like, I mean, like I've interviewed, like I said, a hundred black designers, but I mean, we're talking all ages, men, women, trans, gay, straight in the U S in Europe in in different countries in Africa, like it's run the gamut for the most part. And I feel like there's still more that I can reach out to and like more perspectives, that I can get. You know, there are people that are students that I've interviewed. There are people that are like at the top of their game. There are people that are sort of mid career kinda of trying to figure it out. You know, so I've talked to a lot of different people along like this this spectrum of I guess what a black designer or a black developer might be. Um I, I really when I first started doing revision path, I didn't want to only have like quote unquote prominent people because I probably have like four episodes and that would be it um but i wanted to talk to a number of people in a series right and get like a bunch of different you know perspectives and really have folks talk about like what are their experiences give their their thoughts on the industry give their thoughts on diversity but also just give them a chance to talk about their work cuz you know these people are just as passionate about the work they do as anyone else and for you to give them that platform to be able to say hey i'm going to be able to talk about xyz about what i'm doing You know, and it's like I said, their first interview might be their first piece of press or something like that. I know people that have gotten jobs from these interviews that have gotten, you know, more speaking opportunities and things like that. So the fact that I'm able to kind of make Revision Path that platform where they're allowed to shine is really important. I don't want it to just kind of be like this super narrow. I think when people say black designer, they're thinking, oh, it's just a black designer, you know, but like that's that's Mm -hmm. such a there's so many. It's just like if you say a designer. There's so many right. different types. of I'm gonna of start designers specifying white
1: designers whenever I'm talking about <laughs> a white designer. There you go. Check out this awesome project from white designer Stefan Sagmeister.
2: Oh, <laughs> you should totally do that.
1: <laughs> oh man, that would be a good. You art should piece. totally
2: do that and see the kind of shit that you get from it. <laughs> you should do it. Do it, do it, do it, do
1: it. I, you should do it. I'll do it. I, I the problem is, I, I never tweet out. Look at this cool graphic design shit. Like that never happens. But uh, I, I will do it. I'll, I'll tweet it. Everyone's gonna bet. know it's
0: a trick, Andy. They're gonna know it's a trick. <laughs> they're gonna
1: know it's a plant. They're but, gonna step.
0: Uh... <laughs> they're gonna step right into it. Yeah. I think that's a. I mean, t- to get back to that for a second, like I think, I think the there's almost this like need for a, a singular vision to represent an entire community, and like when it's your own, when it's your own culture or whatever, your own race. You never. You, it doesn't even occur to you uh, that, that that there should be, like, one final answer. And, like, I think one thing we, we try to do in the show is, like, not try to be so stupid as to think we're going to solve a problem in one episode. And, like, the topic we discuss has a singular answer, and that's going to answer all the, the questions. But for whatever reason, like, when this topic comes up, it's as if, like, a person, a representative, somebody should have the answer, and then we can be done with it because... It's really uncomfortable, and that would make it all easier. <laughs> right? But like, well, I mean, it's
1: not going to get easier. I hope
0: we're all smart enough to realize that, like, there's not we're not going to come away with an answer. There's not going to be one person to give it to us. There's not like, yeah. I mean, I Well, I, don't I know. mean, also,
2: I mean, to be like, you know, totally fair. It really shouldn't. The onus really should not be on minorities to quote unquote fix the problem because we didn't create the fucking problem oh, in the first not. place. So <laughs> how can how right. can you fix so the it's, problem it's,
1: if you could fix it? You would have fixed it a long time exactly. ago. Exactly. So like You're I'm not, saying, like <laughs>
2: when people will say, "Oh, well, you have the solution." Like I didn't. I, I didn't do this i didn't put forth all this structural inequality huh. to make this shit happen why do black
1: people keep choosing to not be prominent in the graphic design oh industry? i've
2: heard that i've heard that from people if i
1: were them i would really choose to be more prominent. i, I have heard I that know. from people
2: like why aren't they doing more x or why aren't they like like someone had mentioned i forget this was uh, a few weeks ago i had gotten an email about this about why aren't more black designers like entering themselves into like awards and stuff and when I say awards, I mean like the A W W W A R D S awards or those similar types of, of uh internet things. I'm like, well, first of all, that's like a fifty dollar entry fee, and even if you get that award, what does that mean? Like, like what's the?
1: It's like, a fifty dollar entry fee to put your work before a judge judge panel of white people. It's like what's <laughs> so. like what's
2: the you know what am I gonna get out of that? Like if I'm able to say, like, am I gonna get work from that? Am I gonna get more clients if I'm able to do that? You know, Um, but 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 sort of asking that question, like, why aren't more black designers doing blank or something like that? You know, which is
1: the answer is it doesn't matter or excuse the way the system is already set up.
2: Or there's like tons of black designers that all have their own, you know, opinions on why they will or won't do it. And it's not really one simple answer.
1: It never is one simple answer. That's always I I I hope I feel like this show has slowly become more and more (laughs) just us trying not to be idiots, really hard and (laughs) like on whatever subject we're talking about. Like I think our when the show started, at least my goal was like, all right, we're gonna talk about this subject. Gotta say something insightful. Gotta like you know make a point. Gotta have some perspective. And now my whole goal is like, all right, we're gonna talk about this topic. How can I get out of here without saying something totally idiotic? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you'd think that I would just be quiet if that was the goal, but uh, that's not how it works. So, um, yeah, I hope that that's you know something we strive for in all our topics is trying to recognize that there's not easy solutions to almost anything. Uh, the more you know about a problem, the more sort of complicated and, and the more shades of gray there are. Maybe there's even fifty whole shades of gray. Oh, don't to get close don't enough. do that. No, <laughs> don't do that. No, no,
2: please no. Yeah, don't do that.
1: <laughs> okay. You Andy, you're you're an idiot. Cut that right Come out. On. That's fine. Yeah, cut it
3: out. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we're keeping that one in. <laughs> oh, that man. Matt,
1: Matt, make a soundboard. Maurice, is there anything else you want to like? Is there something you want to end on? Is there some? I know, obviously, we're not going to like put a nice bow on this thing or have a any kind of solution, but like, what what are the what are the parting? What's the parting thoughts after a conversation like? This?
2: Oh, wow. Um, My parting thoughts are to, that to put you directly on. No, the spot. no, no, it's fine. I was fair. <laughs> uh, the parting thoughts are that there need to be more of these types of conversations. Um, I think the fact that you guys are tackling this on this show is really good, but there need to be more of these conversations where you're bringing in more people and getting kind of different and varied viewpoints on the situation to really get a good idea as to not necessarily how to fix the problem, But just get a better scope of like, what is the problem? Because it's so easy to kind of pigeonhole and say, well, the problem is just that, you know, there's not enough black designers. And then if you think that the problem is just that simple, then you might think the answer is also simple to say, oh, well, we'll just, you know, do something with Hour of Code or or we'll just give some money to this organization that's doing something for black youth. And that's that doesn't really fix the problem. Because even if you're doing this pipeline thing, it, it gives those children a disservice if you give them all of this information and knowledge and then push them into this industry. That's still like super intolerant <laughs> and not inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, what the and, fuck, you know, you can't say it's just, you can't say then that it's a pipeline problem because you fixed the fucking pipeline. And now they're in this industry and the industry is still like super shitty. So you kind of have to, you know, I don't want to say fix it from both ends. Cause it's not something where it's a, a introductory pipeline issue, but it's not something that I think is also in the workplace. There are several Points in between, there's mentorship, there's education, there's you know internships, there's a lot of different points in there, and I think just the more that we talk, like don't be afraid to have the fucking conversation. Don't think that oh I'm gonna say something stupid. You probably are gonna say something stupid. Just yeah, just own it and just keep talking, you know? Because the more that you are informed and the more that you learn about it, the more you will stop saying stupid shit, and then you're fine. But you have to actually just have the conversations and just talk with people, air it out, get it out. You know, I feel like there's still probably a lot that's not said because people are afraid to kind of have those conversations. I'm not saying that you have to be like completely, you know, unpolitically correct or whatever, but just have the conversations. Just have the conversations. The fact that a lot of the conversations like that I'm having with you all, these are conversations that I know I've had with other black designers for years now mostly behind closed doors i think now because diversity is something that is really important in the tech industry and it seeps over to the design industry as well more of these conversations are going to be kind of put out there in public so we just have to keep talking about it and the more we talk i think the more we'll get closer to finding solutions to this multi-pronged problem
1: Something you said, too, was very interesting to me, right? I, I was reminded that so many tech people, like, their whole mantra about their their craft and their product is to, like, fail quickly and to, like, you know, make mistakes and learn from them and adjust all the time. Yes. And yet so few of them have that attitude about their own personal, like, perspectives and their own selves. Right. Like, they're so afraid to say something wrong in public, and when they do, it's all defensiveness, and it's never a mistake has been made, we're going to correct and be better in the future. Uh, when As soon as they're like, ego and, like, uh, their, their idea of a self yeah. is involved. There's no willingness to kind of adopt that same philosophy. I, I would totally like,
2: think that if it's something that you're getting defensive at, you need to examine why you got defensive. Like like yeah. what's the reason that made it happen? It's probably more than likely it's an ego thing. It usually is. But like, you know, just have the conversation.
0: We just did it, our, our like 100th episode. And we, we like went back and tried to find a thing that um, we got wrong and like pick that apart a little bit. And the thing that's hyper hyper clear whenever you do something like that is like the things that make you the most upset are just things you used to do and you're now upset about because you're identifying them. Like if it's if it bears if it has no truth in it and it it has no relationship to you at all, like you're not going to be that pissed about it. It's just not going to relate to you at all, and you'll let it go. But if it's if it hits a little bit too close to home, that's when it gets uncomfortable and you get upset about it. And yeah, I mean if if it's if it's somebody getting very defensive, like. It's very clear what's happening there. It's not uh, a mystery and it's just like I think it's just you're just a little bit more digging from yeah to getting to something. And and
2: trust me, we see it and we see it. You know, as much as people might try to like hide behind that, like when we see that defense is like we know exactly what's happening. <laughs> exactly yeah,
1: pretty much not once has somebody been called out on being non-inclusive or being unthoughtful and then they responded with a very careful logical argument and the person that was calling them out said well i guess they're right i guess i guess they're not uh i guess they're not <laughs> thinking about this thing the wrong right. way um i i make this mistake all the time with people on the internet strangers on the internet where if i see somebody doing a dumb thing that i used to do like like you said matt you know first of all it 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 like stings to the core of my being i'm like ooh, i used to be that so stupid god damn it uh but i also always make the mistake of thinking that because i was there i can help them uh, it's my job to help this internet stranger that is misguided uh <laughs> on this particular subject and it worked one time but it almost never works uh usually they are too too much like i used to be <laughs> to be saved uh oh
2: so there is one thing sad. that i want to end off of and i didn't really mention this Earlier, So I don't know how many, um, how much of your audience might be members of AIGA.
0: Uh, I actually bet a small number, but I'm sure there are some out there for sure. Well,
2: AIGA has a diversity and inclusion initiative um, that they're working on. I'm actually part of the task force. And what that initiative is about is encouraging diversity in design education, design discourse, design practice, just to kind of expand the strength and relevance of design like everywhere. So part of what I do with the task force is I do outreach to HBCUs to get AIGA student groups started, and this is sort of marketing back to what we talked about before with um, the sort of problems that Black designers might have. I'm not saying that these are are problems unique to Black designers, but these are problems that might befall them if they're at an HBCU. So when I talk to HBCUs and I say, okay, to get a student group started, you've got to have 10 students. Um, they've each got to have a membership. Uh, a $50 membership which is the lowest membership and they've got to, I think keep all of that for like a year or so before you get an advisor and then start the group well part of the problem is one the school doesn't have 10 art majors so they're out or if they do have the art majors you have to justify to them why they're paying $50 for this membership where they, they might not see what the, the intrinsic benefit is of joining you can just say oh you should join because it's the largest uh, organization for graphic professionals in the country well, what, what what does that mean that doesn't really you know
1: I have that question what does that mean that's a whole other show we'll have you back on to discuss to discuss these big incumbent uh institutions in in design
2: but no I would say um particularly with the with the task force um it is a volunteer force it's me I think it's about 15 other people that are on this and we're all just kind of working in different ways to help uh diversify the design energy so this is something that AIGA is uh super super Aware of, and they're working to try to change it. I mean, like I spoke before at the top of the show about the AIGA journal article and everything, and even my panel is based off of a working conference that was inspired from that journal article. So they have a keen awareness of like, yeah, we know what the the uh, metrics of the design industry look like as it breaks down, you know, by race, and we want to try to change that. So if there are people that are interested, definitely go to the AIGA website, check out the diver- the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force if you're interested certainly um, send an email and, you know, volunteer. We could always use more people.
0: Doing good work, Maurice. We'll definitely put the link in the show notes so people can check it out.
2: Awesome.
1: Matt, did you ask Maurice if he has a happy ending? Is that how we're doing this?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this new podcast. It's called the Of 10 Podcast. It's put on by uh, Will Lucas. Uh, Will Lucas is a a tech entrepreneur, he's a former radio guy. When you listen to the show, he has, he has like that radio voice, you know, that kind of thing that's going on. (laughs) Uh, But he also interviews like prominent um, black tech personalities and things like that. So some of the people that he's had on the show, like um, Wayne Sutton, uh, Michael Siebel, he's had Charles Hudson. Um, So he's had uh, Aaron Teague, who does director of product management at Yahoo. So he's had like some really like big heavy hitters, on the show it's a 10 episode podcast which is why it's called of 10 podcast i think this this week is episode 8 i believe so there's there's seven episodes of goodness i want to say it's like seven or eight something like that but um it's a really great show if people are, want to get you know some different perspective just on like blacks and diversity in the tech field um it sort of relates to design a little bit as well i would definitely recommend checking out uh, that show it's of10podcast.com I really like it. I like I like the radio voice. I wish I had that radio voice. I feel like I'm just like spouting <laughs> into the mic. You know, it's like that thing when you're podcasting and you kind of have to get over hearing your own voice. And especially uh, Oh, wait, I yeah. had to get
0: over that a long time ago. I didn't I never liked my voice at first. Uh, I'm st- still not over it.
2: Especially now that I do a daily podcast, it's like I had to get over that shit. Like <laughs> I just I just got to you know, power through it.
1: Maurice, thank you so much. This has been Thank you very much. This has oh, been thank real you pleasure. guys
2: for having me on. I I am truly humbled and honored to be on the show. Thank you for asking me. This is a, a great thing that y'all are doing. But just thank you for allowing me to speak on this platform.
1: Thank you for uh, putting up with our probably dumb thoughts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> At
1: least we're trying and having the conversation. At least you're trying. That's all we can That's, do.
2: That's that right. That's hey, that puts you a league above most.
0: Been on the grid episode 103. If you have something to say and you want to get in touch with us, you can write us something long at mailitonthegrid.co, or you can write us something short, tweet to at gridshow. Also, if you want to follow at gridshow, it's a robot that will say weird mashed-up things on occasion, like they could wear Playboy Bunny ears and it's raining. I don't know where I got that from. Tweet to us, find us individually at MadamC, at Andy Mangold and at Dan Hour. Even call us out on Twitter if we said something dumb or did something dumb. Hopefully we'll just try to get better and not be so defensive. Thanks to Glassboy for the anime music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. Until next week.
3: Matt, 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 make a soundboard. There you go, Andy soundboard.
0: Yep, um, that's a terrifying prospect. I know. Mm-hmm. It's, be, well, it's least, a long-winded soundboard.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say we. At least we have a lot of material. <laughs> every <for> time. <it>. T- <laughs> yeah, the Andy
0: button. You come back thirty minutes later. Like, every time you press the not... button, it goes
3: for six minutes. <laughs>